You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 313. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. We always love to talk to successful entrepreneurs here on The Local Maximum. And as a software guy myself, I was really intrigued by the story behind this company, Linear B. Now, I know there's a lot of software as a service out there making all these promises, but I've heard good things about this group who measure success in software teams. Uh, I've heard it from friends of mine who have uh, worked who have worked in companies that use Linear B, and they were really excited that I was talking to someone from Linear B today. Uh, and it turns out that they have a really interesting story about how they started and how they got their name. So let's hear some wisdom from the founder. My next guest encourages professionals to think about teams as a whole. Uh, in your experience, and I'm sure we've all had this, when have you been on teams that have operated at their best? Well, it would probably actually first thing to mind is probably teams that were not operating at their best. Uh, but I encourage you to maybe turn that around and think about teams you were on that were operating very, very well, exceptionally well. It's almost, you don't, almost don't even notice it until retrospect. It's like air. You know, you're, you're living and breathing it. But then in retrospect, you say, wow, that was a really effective team. What conditions were on that team to make that happen? It's a good thing to think about. I have some ideas on that. I think my next guest is a great person to talk about this. He also believes that we are at the forefront of the next golden age of software development. Please welcome the co-founder and CEO of Linear B, Ori Karen. You've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You had a very interesting story, which is why I wanted uh, to have you on the show. Um, I wanted to get to the unique way in which you started your company and, and like how you think. And I'm hoping we could start a little bit with the product, uh, I talked to some of my fellow software engineers, particularly a, an SRE who who has used Linear B and has said some good things about it. So maybe you could start by giving us like a quick rundown of what you guys do and what is Linear B for like uh, someone who may be outside the the software industry. Uh, yeah, for sure. So Linear B is a software engineering insights platform. When we started, we were kind of like one of the first ones. And the product, what it does, it, it, it um, helps engineering leaders first, but then like also the rest of the organization um, enhance their, um, uh, help them solve the problem that we call a dual mandate problem. We say on one hand, engineering leaders um, and engineering leaders include everybody from CTO, VPs, you know, engineering managers, team leaders. Engineering leaders had to be always worry about operational efficiency, make sure that internally everything flows, right? Whether it was agile before and CICD. Um, so this is internal looking in, in, into your engineering organization, making sure you're measuring the right things and you're improving. But on the other hand, what's evolved, you know, the last, I would say three to four years, engineering leaders are business leaders. They're required to understand uh, the strong connection that exists between what, where they invest their resources and their energy, et cetera. And how does that help like uh, for the, uh, to the business, which is not always easy. It's not, it's a, it's a hard job because not all the business leaders speak the same language. And when you need to explain to them, we need to invest in this, you know, infrastructure, which not necessarily drives a business all right. Uh, um, it's easy to explain, but um 
But once you have the data, you can tell the story, you can control the narrative. So it started from there. Today, LineaV Lini does much more than that. It serves like five use cases, I would say like four to five different personas from, you know, CTO all the way to platform engineers that can, you know, um, make sure that things move more smoothly in, inside the developer pipeline that can write rules and enhance how things are moving through the development pipeline. Um, so it does all of that. You start with a metrics program, like what do you want to measure and progress from there to a lot of the other things that Linear B can help you. So you mentioned, so uh, what year did you start Linear B? We started in 2019. 20, okay. Started. Oh, so somewhat somewhat recent. Um, so you said that this is one of the, you know, it's it's a more crowded marketplace now, but it, it wasn't so much when you joined in. Uh, how did you like identify, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you know, there's a bunch of companies in this space. Why don't we be a company in this space? But it sounds like you kind of identified a, a, a problem in the market that's underserved, which is, you know, arguably what an entrepreneur's job is. But like, how did you, how did you do it? Did you have like an inside, you know, did you have like an inside view? Did you have an epiphany someday? Or Yeah, it's much simpler than that. I was, uh, I was a developer and I was a team leader and then I was a VP of engineering. That was my, I came, I grew up in like R&D. My uh, founder, Dan Lyons, also, both of us, like, and we lived and experienced the problems there in first hand. And we worked together in our last company that uh, CloudOcket was acquired by Cisco. Um, and there, you know, we were coming into, you know, staff meetings and we were envy sales coming with all these dashboards and understanding their bit or have standard KPIs to talk about it. That's where the seed was planted. Uh, and, you know, that's where, um, um, after both of us left, like Cisco, everyone in his own time, and we found a way back together and started talking about it and say, hey, yeah, definitely an underserved problem. Now it's all about how you bring a good product to the market with strong product market fit, with adoption, whatever. But the, the, the understanding that there's a big, big gap there that's underserved was very clear to us. And when we came and started a company, we didn't even know like, oh, how to call it? Is there a space? We even discovered competitors, I think a year later, that there's more people here. Uh, but it was very clear to us that it's underserved. So it's almost, so uh, it's a pattern that, that I've seen before. It's a solve your own problem. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't know how to start like a, Restaurant tech business, I probably failed in it 100% because I never worked in restaurant. Well, I worked once, but not in build a career. Yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, I want to get to the name because it's really interesting. Uh, how did you come up with the name Linear B? Yeah. So uh, both of us are like uh, history fans. Uh, and we, we also music fans. We had like a bunch of alternative names and so, but um, we like the story about Linear B. Linear B is an ancient script, um, you know, language that was discovered 150 years ago that is dated to actually 3,000 years ago. And it was discovered along another language that they gave them the arbitrary name, Linear A and Linear B. Uh, and they were able to decipher Linear B because it has a lot of um, similarity to Greek probably like um uh, you know uh, one of the origins of the of the grips uh, 
and a lot of wisdom bursted out of uh, once they were able to to read and and decipher and, and read what's in their in their writing. And this was like a very advanced civilization. The Minons, by the way, that lived in the Mediterranean Sea and unfortunately was uh, Snape. destroyed by oh by the by a tsunami or something. Uh, but it, they were like um, very culturally advanced. You know, like it, there was a gender equality, a lot of things that are like very, very ahead of their time. So really like the story about, hey, one, maybe we use the same analogy and we can decipher, you know, the 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 wisdom that exists inside like an engineering organization and help them be better. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's uh, the study of ancient civilization and ancient languages is really fascinating. I don't know if you know a lot of like people in the tech industry or, or people who study computer science who are really interested in these languages because it almost seems like you know, as a machine learning engineer, I almost want to like, you know, start building language models off these things and trying to figure out if we could decipher them. Yeah, absolutely. Language is fascinating. Language is like, uh, there's a lot of philosophy around it. The language like basically creates like the boundaries of the reality that we can describe. So, uh, so it's if it's a rich language in certain areas, there's there's more. So it's really fascinating the 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 impact that language has on so many things that that uh, that we do and how we think. It, it shapes more of our thought than I than I think we can, we usually attribute. You started your company with two people in or or with people in two very different locations. So. Um, how did you make that work? Were you guys working remotely alone? Um, I, you know, worked remotely last year. It, I, I felt like it wasn't so great. Now I come into an office a little bit. It's getting a little, it's uh, it's a little better. Uh, how did you guys make that work? Yeah. So we started, uh, bo both of us, my founder and I, like, uh, I'm based in Tel Aviv in Israel. Dan is based in, uh, um, now in the East coast, back then he was uh, on the West coast. I think what helped us, first of all, is that we're great friends and with great, you know, respect to each other. So the fact that we are far away actually I gave, gave us like this. This was our superpower because sometimes you miss like, okay, brainstorming with someone, but you have to achieve a lot of progress on your own because at the end of the day, okay, we meet and we talk. And... Uh, it creates like this independent, we're very, each one of us are independent and we're also working very strong together. So at the beginning, yeah, I, I actually, you know, rented like small office uh, just so I can, you know, go somewhere and work. But it was still me and it, it was still him uh, there. And the company is actually a mirror image of that uh, up till this day because we're split 50-50 still and employees r and is mostly uh, in Israel go to markets it is in the US UK so um um it's still the same challenges of how you bridge um um these hybrid remote uh, you know challenges uh but at, at a larger scale yeah uh i and nowadays you probably you have teams in both places so people are are people still working remotely or, or are they in office um it's it it changes. So the yeah. R and D team they will they will work um, two or three days in the office. The, the commute is easier, um, and you know in product I think there's a lot of collaboration needed. People need to like bounce ideas off each other. So um, two days uh, they they will work together, and the rest like they can choose to work from home. 
Um, in the go-to-market, it's also, we don't have like a strong policy, but we have like three or four hubs. And some of them people really enjoy and come, come into the office even like four or five times a week. Some will go like one. There's no, there are no rules there, but we try to have at least like have a, uh, the opportunity for employees to have this hub where they come and work with their peers. Um, uh, people, I think, I love the, the this hybrid mode where you can do work yeah. on your own, but you can come in and collaborate with peers. They need both. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's, it's something that um, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out right now, whether to work hybrid or in person or whatever is, is something that's on a lot of people's minds. So, so it's, it's good to hear that. Um, I actually, I, I, I want to hear a little bit more about the, like the, the product itself, like what, who, who are your main users and, and what do they do with it? Yeah. So our main users are engine, the VP of engineering, the directors that run engineering, the team leaders, the platform engineers, but the main user is VP engineering and usually R and D operations. And then I would say the secondary users are there, what I told you, engineering managers, team leaders, platform engineers. The use cases, like uh, I, would, I would divide them from the foundation is a, a metrics program, so impact metrics. So um, deciding on what to measure from the top and also every team decides, okay, this, these are the things that are important for me to measure. They can set goals and OKRs in the system and see how they you know, uh, meet them, et cetera. Um, then if you move a little bit to the right, there's, um, use cases that are more in the cost and allocation of the, of engineering. This is more CTO VPE with the CFO being able to show in a board meeting and protect, you know, your investment and say, this is very important for us to work on this and show how much investment you're putting in it. Forecasting projects saying this project will probably be delivered. Like, you know, you forecast sales, you, you need to be forecasting project. It's fine. Like sales sometimes miss their number. We know that some, some engineering projects are not like being delivered exactly, but just <laughs> forecasting uh, and being able like to, to bring data. So that's on the right side. On the left side, there's the operational efficiency use cases. There you're going to find, um, uh, this is what we get excited from. This is where you're going to find like um, team leaders and platform engineers who are saying, okay, I'm going to look at metrics. I'm going to look, but I'm also going to implement the change. Meaning uh, we were able to invent sort of like a language, not a language, but like a a, a model where they can in, in YAML put rules into how they want to work. So for example, I want to, everything, all the changes that are flowing into the development pipeline today are very are working on in the same routine. So if it's a small change or I, I just change the core service of the system, it's the same process. We're gonna have one reviewer or two reviewers, they're gonna go through the same tests. So what we created enables like the, the those teams like just write rules that create these different routes. Let's, let's put small changes on the VIP fast route. We don't have to have a reviewer, it's an automatic review. Let's put a uh, big, impactful changes, find the right reviewer to them automatically and put maybe an extra reviewer. Let's uh, uh, reject pull requests, for example, when they're not in the standard that we want. And once we once they automate this, it replaces like a, an action that human does and, and it does amazing things. It also, by the way, serves um, 
there's a lot of buzz around Gen AI, you know, and, and everybody's focusing on how we can generate code faster. But then you don't get to leave the promise of 10x because it's still, you know, the water is still flowing through these narrow pipes um, of approval. So that's what that's where we're really excited about the product. That's where we're really innovating and we're trying to enable teams like to invent invent their workflows that are go good for them and um, get to live on the promise of the 10x or some improvement that comes there. What kind of pushback do you get from teams when they don't want to, you know, use new tools or kind of implement something like this? They say, well, we just kind of, you know, we just kind of work and kind of uh, just kind of bang things out. Why do we need this? What, what, what do you say? Yeah, it depends on the persona. It starts with um, have a champion in the organization that says, hey, like we agree that uh, we got a engineering was the last organization that said, okay, I got to measure things too. Before that, we objected. I'm, I'm saying we because I see myself as an engineer objected to everything. It can't be measured. It's an art, et cetera. Yeah. So um, uh, now that there are standard KPIs that are healthy, because they're not measuring like how much lines of code someone is reading and how much commits, they're measuring like the process and whether it's smooth. Um, uh, so it's easier to find like a champion in the organization that said, okay, it is important to drive a metrics program and to start measuring. Uh, once you have that, it's uh, it, it's better and it's smooth. Uh, yeah, but the objections are, hey, what? Why should we measure? Um, or yeah, there's a buy-in, but I need to put some time in order to measure because I need to put some routines and, and see. Okay, let's look at the numbers. Let's look where we can improve. So those are like the uh, the objections. Um, uh, we try to implement the product in the best way where it's self-serve, easy to use, easy to get started, easy to find where you need to configure. So we reduce, we want to reduce the cognitive load. So it's not another tool that you need to, it does things for right. you out of the box. And then you can tune it if you're ready, ready for a better journey. Right, right. So one thing that, that caught my eye is that you like to use basketball analogies for software teams. And I assume that you play basketball, but uh, after learning this, I thought about it. I realized I also use anal basketball analogies despite not having played in, in years. So uh, what is your favorite uh, basketball analogy when it comes to a uh, software team? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I also, by the way, I played when I was younger, so I don't play anymore, but um, and I, I like know, I wish I had a... Them. I wish I had a, a a court closer to me. I, I'd I'd play all the, but probably not. I don't know. I like to watch now, and I like yeah. I always like the stats. I always was a data person, even when I was younger. And you know how basketball stats have historically had like okay, how many points you scored, and they developed, and they had like assists and rebounds, etc. My favorite stat is like this plus plus minus, you know, uh, stat that says okay, what happened when you were on the court. So mm. it could be that you didn't even score or didn't even pass, but maybe you guarded and it doesn't show up in the numbers. I like this analogy a lot because I think the unit that should be looked at uh, in engineering is a squad or a team. It, the team knows how it operates and it balances each other, who's like scoring and coding a lot, who's reviewing, who's the architect. Who's the one that, you know, helps the pipeline, you know, stay efficient. Um, and that's why I like it because then it, that's my favorite analogy and my favorite stats. It doesn't have to come to um, 
you don't need to classify all the developers the, the same if everyone contributes where they are and if the team operates in harmony that's where like uh, i think you win so are these 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 plus minus stats are they just like the number of points scored uh while you happen to be on the team or is something yeah while you play in, in the minutes you play let's say like uh i played i don't know 25 minutes what was the score like minus seven versus me or plus right or plus two um and it doesn't relate even to my individual stats and you can see that like there's players that uh contribute in a team manner like they help in defense they uh, maybe they didn't pass the assist, but by the past one pass before the assist, it doesn't show up always in the stat. But when they're on the court, you can feel their presence, and the and the team improves because we like the developers that help the team improve as well. Yeah, I I want to talk about these developers for a second, but I I'm really interested in this stat first. Like I almost want to pick it apart. Like what what could go wrong with this stat? Like what if there's a player who you know gets put in you know at maybe there are certain points in the game, like towards the end of the game, that's more high scoring or towards the beginning of the game. That's more low score. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like what, how that stat could be gamed or, or misleading. Yeah. So um, one of the things is again, like in engineering metrics, you need to look to have a minimum. You need to look at anomalies, maybe look at the, at the stats at, at that stat consistently and use, I don't know, uh, 75th percentile to remove like the outliers because maybe in one game I got in the end when it was garbage time and we had plus 20. Um, so the, again, there's strong analogies, but if you look at uh, big numbers and enough time, you can see like uh, who's contributing. At the end of the day, you want to win. You want to win yeah. as a team. Again, and software teams are exactly like that. You want to win as a team. And it almost reminds me of, um, like, ha have you heard of uh, Shapley values? It, it, it's basically a measure of, like, when you're in a negotiation or when you're in a voting system or something, like, what an individual's contribution is given the rest of the participants. Um, it's it's a little bit more subtle how that's calculated, but it, it definitely reminds me of that a little bit. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, uh, Shapley, Shapley-Schubert, they, they do a voting theory and... Uh, it's a little like economics uh, game theory uh, a little bit. It's definitely worth checking out. Okay, so why do you think basketball of all the sports works so well here? Or is it just because you're a fan of basketball? I guess it's because I know it like uh, closely. Um, I'm sure there's uh, you can probably apply to more more sports. Well, I use tennis as an analogy. Tennis, you play with yourself. So it's like everything that is team sports probably has this... Uh, you, you can find you know uh, similar like uh, analogies um basketball football soccer like i think in those games as you can find this uh, analogy it's also it also depends on like what is professional basketball i like really college basketball in the us it's like my favorite one like to watch it used to be my favorite one now it's hard like to follow but um oh, yeah they fight hard during uh, march they, they fight months. Hard. yeah 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 and they play more as a team uh, uh, but yeah, I think it's, of course, I know basketball like very well. It's, that's the only reason. Yeah. What do you think there's a certain, uh, like type of developer or engineer, uh, wh whether it's like, um, you know, whether it's like a description of what they do or, or maybe like a, a profile of how they behave on, on their team. That's particularly like underrated, like, you know, you want someone who is, I don't know, um, 
you know, collaborate uh, more of a collaborationist or something like, like, do, do you find that there's certain um, overlooked uh, personas, I guess? Yeah, I think one quality that I've seen throughout all my career, like again, from being a developer, team leader, and then VP of engineering, all of those roles. And I can attest on myself as, as a developer. We like to write code. We don't like to read code, most of us. So the people that can read code, analyze it, and have the patience to see it and give provide feedback, could be like, again, in a review or even like a, a pair programming or analyze systems in like, you know, that you need to sometimes like digest. It's like, um, I think that's a rare quality that... Um, um, that that is needed and it will be needed even more now that again some of the code will be um totally human or powered by ai a little bit or from AI. so you need people reading them and like and, and analyzing okay is this good is this bad yeah i found i've had chat gpt write code for me and then i've asked chat gpt what it's doing in its code so it's almost like folding in on itself. It's, it'll be really interesting to see how we're working in like, um, you know, three, four, five years. Um, Absolutely. Let's, uh, I, I want to kind of expand on that question a little bit in terms of like what, what, what qualities are underrated, like uh, just taking individual developers or people who are on development teams or people who, who lead development teams. What's, what's one thing you see that people can look at today uh, that will make them more efficient? What are people kind of, ignoring in their own kind of process i think um again i like to talk about um teams and squads less than individual i think at first of all teams know know themselves like the best um so it's almost start with just like the the wheel and the understanding that okay let's decide on what are the, our KPIs and be consistent in measuring them? I think I think um the definitely the um the review process is where I see that it's also backed by, by research that we did the biggest biggest bottleneck of of the the development like workflow uh, because uh, people either try teams either try to say where I'm taking it one extreme is like work trunk based development. So yeah, we have enough tests to interview the best developers and trust them to only commit things that are not going to break anything. And it works, but probably there's like only 0.5% of the companies that are as elite and as, that can work like that. Hmm. And then on the other hand, you have teams that have like this process that they said, okay, this, this is our process and it's a single process, like two or three reviewers on each one. And it's such a slow one and it's frustrating because you're waiting and now you didn't need to do a context switch. You go back to your or the code that you wrote like two days ago. You, there's a research that shows it takes you 23 minutes average to get to the same cognitive state that you were before uh, when you were concentrated. So people, this this waste, this toil that, toil that exists inside like this process is, it's hard to quantify it. We, we try to do it with a product and show it. Um, I think if teams improve that process, um, they will achieve efficiency. Usually, usually that's where we see like 
immediately improving that process like uh, you you achieve a lot of efficiency and and i like it because it's not so that I'm, i don't like the agile stuff but this is like very empiric very easy to measure it's not different opinions no it took like five days or two it's we can see exactly yeah. how much time we can. why do you think teams kind of either fail to improve that process or or get into kind of a bad state there the two reasons one um one there's no they're trying to have one standard for all and again instead of classifying the change on entrance and say oh this is type change from this type it can go fast or it can go slow. that's the most important thing and the second thing there's like this listen if everybody was sitting and waiting for a pr to come to review nobody would write prs and if everybody was writing PRs, nobody was sitting and waiting for, so it's hard to find that optimum point of mm. like, uh, uh, because you don't want people waiting. You want like, uh, you want your code in production that you wrote in the same day. Because if a bug yeah. happens, you want to be, you want it to be fresh in the memory. I, I call this like the bis- the bicycle analogy, like uh, uh, because we have this tendency in software, we release something and, and we have a quality quality problem. So the first thing that the engineering leader will say, okay, let's slow down everything. Let's let's not release. Now, if you don't release, developers are developers. They're going to continue to write code. Next release is going to be gigantic uh, because you just paused all the releases. So you got It's almost like you got to release pressure off the system and keep on releasing. Um, it's like riding back uh, a bicycle. You got to keep the pace and ride fast enough so you have balance. Yeah. Um, so that's how I say it. It's, it's almost, it's, it's interesting how like, you know, if I have a, a change that's, that's out for review, it's getting ready to go in, there's nothing stopping me from working on other changes, another branch, you know, I, I do it, but it's almost like there's like something in your brain being like, whoa, uh, there's too many open, open parentheses here. And it almost like it's a little, it, it almost feels a little overwhelming at times. Yeah, and, and and there's research that shows some people will break at three parallel things. Some people can hold like to eight, but then you're not efficient because you keep mm-hmm. thinking about all the other things. And um, yeah, the best is if you can write one, get the review, and re- well, we know that's ideal. It's not going to happen all the time. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's different. And 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 teams that manage that whip of like, how, what's our whip? cap and you know sometimes it's individual sometimes it's per team and manage that well are, are also teams that get great achievement and great efficiency yeah all right all right uh, thank you so much for sharing your stories uh and your insights with us today uh next time i set up an engineering org i'll definitely check out linear b which is actually not impossible uh, and i look forward to uh <laughs> seeing what else you're up to uh any last thoughts on our discussion today and where people can go to learn more one part is that I really enjoyed and thanks for having me. Uh, and the second is, yeah, definitely you, you can go and uh, check check uh, at linearb.io. Um, you can book a demo or you can uh, try our free product. Basically, you can get your door metrics for free. So uh, that's our uh, strategy here um, and, and get started like uh, fast. So um, whatever works, um, we're there and we're really passionate about helping engineering teams and organizations solve this problem. All right. All that will be available on the show notes page. I'll direct the listeners of this episode to that show notes page. Ori, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. 
All right, folks, thanks for being along for the ride. Hope you're not missing us too much on this bi-weekly schedule, but I want to hear from you soon. Uh, I'm hoping to do some news updates with Aaron shortly. I was just on the phone with Aaron, and we have so many things to discuss, which we didn't talk about on the phone, but uh, we'll save it for the recording because so many things are happening in the world of uh, you know of, of tech and AI and just in general happening in the world. So Aaron and I have to talk about it. All right, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. The Local Maximum is now hosted on Substack. To support the show, join our online community on localmaximum.substack.com. Find show notes and additional materials at our website, localmaxradio.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. Remember to subscribe on your podcast app. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Can you feel the power?